So the last four weeks I've been looking at the subject of redeeming the time. I don't know how we got onto the subject we did from there, but it's in the Bible. Because God spoke a prophetic word to me and he said to ACF, it might not apply to anybody else in the world, but it certainly applies to us here at ACF. Because first of all, I'm your prophet, your apostle, your pastor, your teacher. Is that okay? And so to redeem the time, we looked at it intensively, extensively. I mean, I would never have thought I could get four messages out of those two verses from Ephesians 5 and uh, Colossians 4 on redeeming the time. But the essence of it was that we redeem the time when we live wisely. In other words, if we live wisely, we redeem the time. Wisely inside the church, wisely with people outside the church. And we saw that wisdom was the end result of, first of all, knowledge of the Word, by which we gain knowledge of God. And then it develops into an understanding of the Word and understanding of God. In other words, His principles and His ways. And then it makes sense to us and that we discover that God's wisdom is the highest wisdom. And so naturally, what we start to do then is we live out that wisdom by our lifestyles. In other words, living righteous, holy lives is living wisely. And in the process, Paul says, we buy back time, we redeem time. In other words, we're making the most efficient use of time because we're not wasting time going up cul-de-sac, dead-end streets, taking detours because we're messing up our lives. Is that okay? And so there's something that develops out of that. We discovered last week when we looked at the life of Joseph in particular, and we brought in other scriptures, that when we live this way, we please God. So we please God when we live that way. Paul puts it in another way when he says we become acceptable to God. Now, does that mean that I wasn't acceptable before? No, God makes us accepted in the beloved. But what we're doing is we're being good stewards of the acceptance that he's given us. And we're growing in that acceptance. Is that okay? So you're all with me thus far. And then as a result of pleasing God, God's favor comes and people's favor. So Proverbs says it. It says it about Jesus and John and Samuel that they grew in wisdom and in favor with God and man. Listen, church, you need both. You need both. You need the favor of God and the favor of man. And it's something I discovered. I had a vision for ACF. I had a vision to do things. It was a developing vision because the vision was growing. And for many years, it looked like I would not achieve the vision until I met a man that was very much in line with my spirit and the vision that I had, and that was Prophet Quibus van Rensburg. And I discovered that very often your vision is connected to someone else's vision. In other words, God puts us together as the body. And it was a matter of iron sharpening iron, and he opened doors, for example, for the television, and suddenly we started to hit our vision. But it was because I had favor with him, with Prophet Quibus. I had God's favor, but I found favor with a man. And so that will open doors for you. Now, before I continue, there's another element that I want to tag on to the back. So let's talk about it. So remember I said knowledge, understanding, wisdom, pleases God, brings the favor of God and man. I want to just put the last component onto it today. This is going to be good. Woo! This is going to be Awesome. So there's another component that I want to bring to you. And so when we live a holy life, another way of saying it is a righteous life, the way that I've been teaching it is a wise life. When we live like that, 
And we live like that without compromise. Everybody say without compromise. I just want to tell you, and I don't have to tell you, but I need to mention it, that the world we're living today is seeking for Christians to compromise. One of the reasons why they will try and get us to compromise is because we convict them just by our presence. Is that okay? Our message and our lifestyles convicts them. That's why, for example, like when I was in the army, all the guys would try to get me to drink just one beer. Because they would feel justified by their drinking and getting paralytic drunk if I had a beer. But I lived no compromise. The reason was that I convicted them when I said, no, you guys carry on. It's fine. You know, I'll be the duty driver. I'd pick them up off the bar floor, pour them into the back of the military Land Rover because they were almost fluid and drive them home. You know, but it used to irritate the willies out of them, the fact that I wouldn't drink. And I would say, why must I do that? First of all, I got more money than you at the end of the month. Number two, I remember the fun I had. You know, and I didn't really act stupid. No one had to pick me up, clean up the vomit, pull my pants up, you know, clean up everything, and drive me back to base, you know. And if you call that fun, carry on, you know. But the world wants us to compromise. And we've got LGBTQ plus community trying to force their nonsense down on us, and they want us to compromise. Somehow, we must accept it. We accept them, but we don't accept the lifestyle. Is that okay? There's the critical race theory that is now making its run. There's the woke thing. You know, all of this stuff is going on, and they're pushing us, and it's being legislated and law. Um, Shireen was telling me about a teacher at their school who is LGBTQ+, and um, is speaking openly about it in the class, drafting policies in a supposed Christian school, drafting policies and things like that, and already saying to the kids, I can see some of you are gender confused and all that, but I can help you. But laws are coming out where we are not allowed to counsel them otherwise. Listen, church, it's time for us to stand up, be counted, speak up. My grandson goes to a school where right at the center of the emblem of the the school badge is a cross. And atheists and agnostics send their kids there, and Muslims send their kids there. And then the kids started pitching up with the cross blacked out, blanked out, a cloth stuck over it. And the headmistress sent a message, an email to every parent, you know, parents of the children that were in the school and said, you are not allowed to eat this part of the emblem of the school. You cannot deface it. You agreed to the principles in this school. If you don't like it, take your kids somewhere else. And it's time for us to stand up. Go and try and do that in a Muslim school. I'll put my kids in Muslim school and blank out the crescent. See how far you get. But us as Christians, we wussy. And it's time for us to speak up and stand up. No compromise. Come on, church. And so the thing that we need to do is to live holy with the Lord. So I mentioned the fact that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now I want to tag on another verse. Are you all ready? Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And it says this, But unto the Son he saith, that's God, God speaking to his Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, quoting from the Old Testament, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Is that good? So God is calling his Son God. And he says, Thy throne is forever and ever. 
And then he's more or less saying the same thing, but he's using different words. And he says, a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Everyone say scepter. Now, scepter is the rod that the king would hold, either gold or ivory or wood covered with gold, whatever it was. And it became a symbol of his authority and a symbol of his rule and reign. And that's why the Holy Spirit inspires and says, your throne, O God, is forever. And then he shows us the king with a scepter in his hand, which is a symbol that he's on the throne. But that the rulership, the principles in the way that he rules will be just and fair. It will be righteous. And then Paul continues, and he goes on in verse 9 to say about this God, the Son of His, thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Everyone say, loved righteousness. Listen, church, we need to love righteousness and hate iniquity. I mean, we've got personal experience with what iniquity has done to us before we accepted Jesus. Is that right? And so there needs to become an understanding of how awesome righteousness is, but how wicked sin is. And we need to love righteousness and hate wickedness, hating iniquity, okay? Not the persons, but the act of sin, of iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, therefore now talking to his son who is God, and he says, therefore God, thy God, God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness or joy, Above thy fellows. In other words, if you love righteousness and hate wickedness, God will anoint you above your companions with the oil of joy. In other words, the end result of knowledge, understanding, wisdom equals pleasing God results in favor. And if you walk in that favor, it attracts a higher anointing than anyone around you. So why is that? Because we saw last week, the reason is because once you gain the favor of God and the favor of man, within that, God promotes you in the sense that he starts to give you blessing and responsibility because of your faithfulness, because of your holiness. God gives you responsibility, like Esther, like Noah to build the ark, like Moses, found favor with God, lead the people of Israel, like Jesus, bring salvation to the world, like John the Baptist, introduced Jesus. There comes a higher responsibility the more favor that you have. Come on, church. You know, it's not just come to a meeting and let's give you the anointing of favor. Now, suddenly people are going to throw lots of money at you. It's not going to happen like that. It's in life. You have favor with your boss because you work hard, because you're qualified, because you've studied. Is that right? You've got the right attitude. And then you're promoted. So you get more responsibility. So now, as far as the kingdom is concerned, and obviously it overlaps into your work, then God says, because you've got high responsibility, because of the favor, I need to anoint you for that position. So we could call it growing in the anointing, increasing the anointing, or whatever you want to call it. But with greater favor comes greater anointing. Is that okay, church? So let me just run you through it very quickly. It's very interesting when we have a look at it, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6. Amazing, amazing how sometimes you have to read the Bible because there's words there and you've got to ask yourself, what is that word there for, you know? But in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6, it says, And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let the angels of God worship him. Now, what does that mean, and again? 
when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world. Now, scholars have got different opinions on that. Some say it was when Jesus was born. When he brought his first begotten into the world, he said, let all God's angels worship him. Other theologians say it was when Jesus was raised from the dead. And I particularly agree with that one. So in other words, Jesus died, did the work for us on the cross. He died, he was buried, he rose again. And when he was brought back as the first begotten from amongst the dead, he's brought back into the world. He's completed the work of salvation. Because if Jesus was not raised, if he did not come back from the dead, everything he did on the cross would have ended right there. It would have been a failure. So rising, he justified us. Is that okay, church? And so the resurrection was the important conclusion to the crucifixion. And so when he comes back into the world, God says, wow, this is my first begotten from amongst the dead. Come on, angels, worship him because the work of salvation is done. Amen. So like one theologian said, the resurrection is God's cry of amen to Jesus' words on the cross, it is finished. So when God said amen, he raised him from the dead. He said work is done. So it's important that we understand that at the crown of that work, God anointed Jesus again. What do you say again? So it's really powerful because if we look through Scripture and we can find it in other places, we see how people... There was a direct parallel to their growth in favor to increased anointing on their life. We'll just take one person, David. So David, you know the story from, I think it's chapter 13 of 1 Samuel all the way through to chapter 16. Uh, Saul anointed king first, and then, you know, he messed up. He was disobedient. He didn't do what God told him to do. And it's very interesting that God speaks to Samuel, and he says, this man I've rejected because he was disobedient. It says it in, in uh, I think it's 1 Samuel 13. But he basically said, and I have found a man after my own heart. In other words, I found someone who pleases me, who lives righteously, who lives a holy life. Just like when he found Mary via the angel, greetings, you are highly favored. Amen? Because he found someone with whom he was pleased in Mary. So he found someone in whom he was pleased. And then he said to Samuel, go and anoint him. And then, of course, powerfully the Holy Spirit came on him from the day that he anointed him. I think that's 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, 14, somewhere around there. And the power of God came on to David. He was turned into another man. And David had known anointings prior to that when he killed the bear and he killed the lion. But now the power of God comes on him and anoints him. But just taking these anointings where he was anointed king, the first one is mentioned there. The second one is mentioned in 2 Samuel some years later. And uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 4, when he moves up to Hebron and the, all the men of Hebron come and say, you know, you're our king, let's anoint you. And he's anointed the second time. But David had been walking in the favor of God. We know that David blew it, amen? But it's incredible that in Acts chapter 13, it's recorded there that God said, I have found David as a man after my own heart. So it doesn't mean that we're perfect and never sin, but what it does mean that we're quick to repent and quick to go back to God and continue in the trajectory of righteousness. Is that okay? I often say God is not looking for us to be perfect in the sense of the word perfect as the world says it, but progressive. 
the graph must be going upwards. You understand what I'm saying? And so if we're living the life, if I blow it and I fail it, you know, every now and then I do. I'm, I'm trying to think the last. I mean, never mind. Uh, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. But every now and then we blow it. But the thing is, we be quick to repent and say, sorry, Lord. God then says, you're a man after my, my own heart. Yeah. Why? Because you're loving righteousness and hating wickedness. Yeah, Come on, church. It brings the pleasure. God says, favor. So favor brings more responsibility. The more responsibility comes, God goes, oh, my goodness. To occupy that position, to stand in that office, to stand in that place, you need a greater anointing. Now, there's something special about this anointing of the oil of gladness. That's powerful. Powerful. Awesome. So let's just just finish off. The third time that he's anointed was also again in Hebron, but where the other ten tribes came mainly of Israel, and they anointed. They said, we're brothers. Come on. We're one nation, and they anointed David. Listen, the anointing that was on him united a divided nation. Okay, that says something. And that's when David goes, but Jerusalem should be the capital. And they go and take it from the Jebusites. You see, every time you get more responsibility, you get more anointing, but with more anointing comes more authority. (laughs) Is that okay? means you can accomplish more. means that you're redeeming the time because you're operating efficiently by the Holy Spirit. Come on, church. It's important for you to get this because, you know, if we see the end result, maybe it will motivate us for the process more. And so, Acts 13, 22, God testified concerning David. I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And uh, Psalm 89, verse 20, is a prophetic word about David where the psalmist there writes, I have found David my servant with my sacred oil. I have anointed him. Isn't that awesome? Maybe you should write it in your diary, in your journal. You know, right there. I have found Ken, my servant, with my sacred oil. Have I anointed him? I have found Astrid with my sacred oil. Amen. Amen? I can say it with confidence. I say it with confidence. I have found John, my servant. Not John who wrote the Bible, this John. Okay, I found John. Woo, 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 woo. I mean, this stuff, when I'm preparing, this is what I do, and I get goosebumps, man. It's really awesome. I found John, my servant, with my sacred oil. I have anointed him. So, with increased favor. I just want to just talk very quickly because it applies to you. And I want to apply it to you in the short time that I have left. When Paul was writing about Jesus, and he said about Jesus, because you loved righteousness and hated iniquity, therefore God. The anointing came as a direct result of his holiness, of his righteousness, a direct result. One of the things about the anointing of the Holy Spirit is that it's holy. So when we take a bottle and we filled it with oil according to the word, and it's anointing oil, and we anoint you with it. It's symbolic of the person of the Holy Spirit coming upon you who is holy. The anointing oil is holy. Yeah. Is that okay? It's not a plaything. It's holy yeah. because it's sacred oil. And when you are anointed, you are made sacred. Amen. Is that okay? 
when the priests finished their ordination, they would have to wait a period of days. I think it was seven days. And they were not allowed to leave the tabernacle because God said, because my sacred anointing oil has crowned him. And so they had to stay for the completion of the separation by reason of the anointing. The anointing sets you apart, church. The anointing makes you sacred because it's the sacred oil of his spirit. Isn't that good? And so when we see Jesus baptized in water and he comes out and the spirit of God descends upon him like a dove in bodily form, and God says audibly from heaven, this is my son, with him I am well pleased, and then the oil of the spirit comes upon him, he is then by reason of the anointing set apart as the son of God. For a distinct purpose. Come on, church. Am I building the picture for you? So when you love righteousness and hate wickedness, and then the result is God says, let me give you the oil of gladness. I'll explain the gladness part. He said, let me anoint you with the sacred oil. You are then set apart for the position that favor has brought you. Can I say it again? When you get anointed with the oil of joy, you are then sanctified and set apart for the new position that greater favor has set you apart for, for that responsibility. Is that all right? Because you see, when Jesus rose from the dead, he was anointed with the oil of joy, but the whole reason was because there was a succession of anointings. The first time he was anointed was when he was in his mother's womb. When the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and the angel said, the holy thing that is in you, shall be called the Son of God. And then he was anointed at his baptism. And now he was set apart as the Son of God to begin his ministry. But then in Luke 4, 18, he also then goes into the temple, finds the scroll of Isaiah, unrolls it. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news, you know, open the eyes, the prisoners and the, the blind eyes and bind up the broken heart to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favor closes the scroll and says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. From that day, they tried to kill him. They couldn't. By virtue of the anointing. Come on, they couldn't do it. They couldn't. The only reason why he could die was because he'd say, Father, I commit my spirit to you. Then he became vulnerable to death. Before then, he could not die. Come on, church. With the favor that is coming upon us, as individuals, but as a church, the favor that's coming upon us has promoted us. And what's left now is the oil of joy that promotes us above our fellows. I'm saying a lot here. I'm hoping you're getting it. This is deep. Okay. All right. So the anointing, by reason of the anointing, okay, so the anointing is sacred. So he was anointed, he was anointed at his baptism, he was anointed Luke 4, 18. But then also, it tells us now that when he was resurrected from the dead, he was anointed. Is that okay? Hebrews 1, verses 8 and 9. Now, it doesn't say he was anointed, but I believe he was. But it tells us that in early verses of Acts chapter 3, when Jesus ascended into heaven, and sat down at the right hand of the majesty. He received an anointing because he received the fullness of the Spirit without measure. And Peter says, this is what you're seeing now 
while you're witnessing the disciples, the 120 speak in tongues, he received the spirit from the Father and he's poured him out. This is what you see and hear now. So he received the spirit without measure. Is that okay, church? See, every level an anointing and every level you achieve by the favor of God. So the holiness, the righteousness is attractive. Paul tells us this in, I think it's in Timothy. Might be something like 3.16 or something like that, but I can't remember. Where he says this, he says, talking about the Judaizers, he says they have a form of godliness, but deny the what? The power thereof. You see, True godliness, if we don't just have a form, if we have godliness, there's a power in godliness. You got it? It's a power. There's an influence. Godliness speaks. Godliness has an aura. Godliness has an atmosphere. Godliness is powerful. Following me, church. And so when we look at Jesus, it was prophesied about him that he would be a just God and Savior. But we know that even when he was born, he was sinless. But the amazing thing is that not only that, how many of you know if Jesus had sinned, he would have compromised the sinlessness that he was born in? And so he had to live a life of obedience, perfect obedience. And so when it comes to his baptism in Matthew chapter 3.15, amongst other references, when he gets there and he's baptized, or he requests John to baptize him, John says, No, 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 you should be baptizing me. And uh, Jesus says to John, it is proper for us to do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. Okay? So he, he was saying, I need to obey what God has shown me to do because I will fulfill his righteous requirements for me. I need to be righteous in this regard and do what God has told me. So right throughout his life, you know that his MO, his modus operandi, Jesus said, I only speak what I hear him speak, I do what I see him do. And so he walked in perfect obedience. All follow me, church. So if we live holy, righteous lives, continuously walking in obedience to God, it attracts favor, it promotes us. But then God says, but you need the equipment to occupy that position, and that is the oil of joy. And so, right through his life, it says in Hebrews 5, verse 8, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. So it wasn't easy for him to be obedient, but he learned obedience. He was perfectly obedient. Because up until then, he was obedient in his heart, but he needed to be obedient in his actions as well. Okay. And so he did it for us. It's amazing, isn't it? You know what his obedience did for us? The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, That though he knew no sin, yet God made him to become sin for us. That we, we, we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. And this is one of my favorite verses, eh? And in other words, he makes us as righteous as God himself by putting us right with him. But we need to continue walking in obedience and living the life for him. So we see that in his person, he was righteous. Good? 
All right. So now we can say, not to the degree of Jesus, but we can say because of his work, because of his obedience, because of his blood, he's made us the righteousness of God in Christ. So we've got a good starting point. Eh? And so what we need to do is continue to walk in holiness and righteousness before God. Continue to walk in obedience. Continue pleasing God. Continue attracting the favor of God. And then we're anointed with the oil of joy. I'm coming to the joy part now. We're coming to the gladness part now. And so in his office, Jesus demonstrated that he loved righteousness and hated wickedness. You know that when Jesus was anointed, he was anointed as prophet, priest, and king. And when we're anointed, he anoints us as prophets, priests, and kings. Is that good? As a prophet, we see that by everything he spoke, everything he taught, he taught concerning true righteousness before God. As a priest, we see that he demonstrated by that office, by that anointing or that aspect of the anointing, through the sacrifice of his own life, he demonstrated, I love righteousness and I hate wickedness because he paid the price. And then also by his intercession for us, which he's doing now, he continues as high priest forever. Is that okay? I don't want to get too complicated. But then also as um, king, he rules his kingdom with justice, with equity, with fairness, and all the principles of his kingdom are just and true and righteous. And he has authority. So in every area. So what does that mean for us? What it means for us as prophets, we need to be God's spokesperson. And in our speech, we need to be speaking those things that are righteousness. Yeah. Amen? That's why I said what I said earlier about, you know, what the influence that's happening in our schools. We need to start speaking up. Is that okay? When the headmistress of Ridgewood College sent out that email, we all put in emails, and we said, we want to thank you for standing and taking a stand and uh, maintaining the righteous standards of the school. And I said, as long as you continue to do that, our child, our grandchild will continue to come to the school. And she emailed back and said, thank you very much, but there's no compromise. Amen. 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 Yes. Is that okay? And so, as prophets, as priests, we need to be ministering to others in the sense of touching their lives concerning righteousness and iniquity. Bringing about the message of righteousness. Praying for people to bring about the message Amen. of righteousness. I was so blessed yesterday, I just said to you, pop out to get something very quickly. And then my son Daniel said, Dad, please, will you stop in at Checkers? They make those pancakes. I want some pancakes. I said, okay, my boy. And so I stopped in there to get them a couple of punnets of pancakes. And um, as I approached, there was the DA tent, you know, where they're taking registrations for the coming up elections. And I walked up and I saw Councillor Andre Duplessis there, who's our ward councillor. And uh, he just went through a torrid time with COVID, lost his partner. She passed away, unfortunately. And he was very, very ill. And uh, when the news came up on the group, I posted onto the group and I said, I'm praying for the counselor. And uh, when I walked up, he saw me from a distance and he said, hey, Pastor John, and he's still battling to speak. And I said, counselor, how are you doing? We gave each other a fist pump. And then he said, I'm doing good. He said, I knew you were praying for me. He said, your prayers pulled me through. First thing that he said. Come on, church. Come on, give God praise. Our intercessory ministry must touch lives. Is that okay? We need to touch lives. 
as priests. And then, of course, as kings, we rule and reign. And uh, we rule over unrighteousness. We rule justly and equitably. We love people. We love and we bring them, you know. And that's what part of the anointing is. It's a kingly thing to set prisoners free. Because we can pardon sinners. Is that okay? It's one of the things that really blessed me about Prophet Quirbus, the revelation that he had. There are good teachers on healing where they teach on, from the emotional side, where how you know, different emotions can affect your health. And so people with extreme bitterness, unforgiveness, hatred, it can, it can result because it, it will put discordant sort of things going on in your body and it can result in sickness. And it's true. It's true. Bitterness can do that. And unforgiveness, hatred can do that. It turns in on yourself. It affects your body. But Prophet Krobus had a revelation on Matthew 18. If you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. <laughs> so the 300 people all stricken down with AIDS. And then he would say, look at me. I'll forgive your sin. I'll forgive your sin. And I asked afterwards, how can you do it? He said, first of all, it's in the Bible. And he said, second, the fact that they hear they're sorry for their sin. And they want healing. And he would say, I forgive your sin, I forgive your sin, I forgive your sin. And then he would take them by the hands or whatever on mass, 300 in one meeting, HIV AIDS. And then he would say, I give you life, just look at me, your sins are forgiven. I give you life, I give you life, I give you life. AIDS disappear. Medical certificates. Is that Okay. Come on, church. That authority, you got that authority. That's part of your kingly authority. If we understand it, and so, you know, as we continue to operate and walk in righteousness and holiness, hating iniquity, even by our ministry, we demonstrate that. Where we confront sickness as a result of sin. Where we confront sin itself. When we cast out demons. What are demons? A personification of sin. You don't get a demon of anger. When a person is angry and a demon comes, it then attaches itself to the anger in the person, and only then does it become a demon of anger. You don't have jealousy demons and anger demons. <laughs> They're all demons, you know what I'm saying? And so when they attach themselves to a person because of the sin, so it's just personalized sin, but when we set them free from the personality, they have then the power to live a life above anger. So the precious thing that we need is this anointing because of what Jesus has made us to be. Amen. Amen. So when Jesus came, before he came into the world, the psalmist prophesies this and says, this person is coming, this Messiah is coming, and he will come as a bridegroom out of his chamber, and he rejoices as a strong man about to run his race. So even before Jesus came, before he was manifested in the flesh, he was already rejoicing at the task that he was coming to do. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. Don't you just love it? Come on, pretend like you're excited. You haven't heard this sermon before. I've never preached one like this before. I think this is good. I haven't got all the bugs ironed out of it, but there's a potential of it being a really awesome sermon. But in Psalm 40 verse 8, when he comes into the world, quoted in Hebrews, it says, when he cometh into the world, he saith, I delight to do thy will, O God. Woo! Come on, there should be such joy in our heart about being Christians. 
There should be such joy in our hearts about the fact that we have the favor of God and we've got a purpose and a destiny in this world. You know, we are the saviors of this world, if I can say that in a humble way. Is that right? The only God that this world see are the Elohim, the gods here. You know, the king of kings, the lord of lords. So they see these kings and these lords and these Elohim, these gods. And so it says about him, I delight to do thy will, O God. He says in the Gospel of John, he says, my meat is to do the will of of the Father. I think it's John chapter 4. But when he was also, when he was in the world, already ministering, and the cross became imminent, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. So come on, let me try and explain that. What was the joy that was set before him? Because between the joy and himself where he was now was the cross of suffering. But he looked beyond the cross. He looked beyond the suffering. And he saw down decades, down centuries. And he saw us sitting here as a result of his work. And we are the joy that was set before him. And he enjoyed the cross, despising its shame. And so there's a joy in the ministry as we anticipate the outcome. There's joy in what God has ahead for you. Whether you're in a job and in the job God will promote you and bless you, there's a joy there because you are then a person of influence and you can touch other people's lives. Is that okay? But even outside of your job, outside of your ministry, you are first of all a disciple of Jesus Christ to bring a message of hope to a dying world. And there's a joy on the other side of that. Because sometimes you might be ridiculed, sometimes you might be rejected, but then comes the time when someone says, I was just waiting for someone like you. I was about to commit suicide. I was about to do this. I was about to do that. And then along came you, and you spoke to me. There's a joy on the other side when people get saved, healed, filled with the Holy Ghost. Is that all right? And so there's a great joy in all of this. So when I start to conclude... I will talk a little bit more about it. So these, I think I put down five things. First of all, there's joy as the fruit of righteousness. Paul tells us that the kingdom of God, Romans 14 verse 17, is not a matter of eating and drinking. So what he was saying, the kingdom of God is not in the law of Moses. Because that was a system of what you eat, what you don't eat, drinking, ceremonial, this and things like that, and, and, and clothing and things like that. But he says the kingdom now consists of righteousness. Everyone say it. So the very thing that will follow righteousness is what? Peace. Peace with God. Peace in yourself because you're right with God. And then as a result of that, what? Joy in the? In the? So wherever the Holy Ghost is, you find what? Okay, you could have fooled me. Okay, wherever you find the Holy Spirit, you find joy. Joy. So he's, also, he's one of the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of those things. But joy is there. So where you find the Holy Spirit, you find joy. That's why church meetings should be the happiest places on earth, especially church meetings where the Spirit of God is present and allowed to move. That's why sometimes people laugh in church. It's a whole lot better than crying. When I was a kid, if people cried in church, God really moved. And then in the 90s, when people started to laugh in church, it was unholy. 
But you don't see the kingdom of God is made of righteousness, peace, and crying in the Holy Ghost. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You can cry if you're crying in joy, that's okay. But I didn't see much of that when I was growing up in my Pentecostal church. Righteousness, peace, and joy. But there's also the joy of personal fulfillment of the destiny God has for your life. There's a joy. At the end, Paul says, you know, I've run my race, I've kept my course. I finished it. Now there's led up for me a crown of righteousness, the victor's crown, crown for someone who did it, who fulfilled what God has for them. It's amazing. It's amazing that God said, I found David a man after my own heart because he will do what I tell him to do. Is that good? Come on. Will you do what God tells you to do? Yes. So you're in line for something. The oil of joy. There's personal fulfillment. Paul says, I wasn't disobedient. There was many times, many times. Louis and I have known each other for nearly 135 years. No, I'm teasing. About 35, 36 years. And Louis will tell you when he first came here what was here and what there is now. And the ministry as a result. But on the 8th of November, 1984, I drove in and I stopped just about there. And I got out the car and I was looking around. I thought, okay, so this is Benera Park, dilapidated, fascia boards hanging down. Everything was a mess. Rusted fence, big holes because the kids from the neighborhood used to dig tunnels and make BMX ramps and things like this. The grass was this long. And it was just this tiny little two-tire track up to the office block, which was then the house. And we came with two kids what we could fit in a car and a borrowed trailer. We had to get the trailer back somehow. And uh, just what we could fit in the car and two boys, the pasturi, the manse was not furnished, no curtains, no. <laughs> when God spoke to us, we just got in the car and came, you know. And uh, in 1984, stood outside there. And, I, and when I got out of the car and I stood up and looked around, I was caught up in a vision. And I saw hundreds of hands raised and I heard the congregation singing. The only way I can describe it is the song of the redeemed. And I could hear the song. And uh, God spoke to me and he said, from here you'll reach the world. And I want to just tell you that it was very tempting many times to go, to go somewhere else. There was a time when I was itinerating around England, Ireland, Wales, and uh, I went to Holland and I was going to Armenia and um, Egypt regularly. The ministry was exploding with invitations to Germany, Switzerland, America, all over Romania, everywhere. Iran, Iraq, all those places. Um, the invitations were coming where it threatened to swallow up what I was doing here. And I had to come back after one trip in particular where God had moved so powerfully. And I came, I drove from the airport and I, I, I said to Bev, come with me. And we came and we drove here and I just sat in the car and I looked at the buildings and I said, I don't understand God because by the evidence of it, things not happening here like it should be. Where is the revival? Where is this? Where is that? Where is the next thing? And if I look at overseas, it's exploding. I could have been living in England now. I was offered mega churches, mega finances, big money, the latest Rover car, brand new out the box, salaries that made my salary here look like I was just being tipped. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and all of these now, if I was a spiritually corporate ladder climber, I would have taken those opportunities. But it's not what God said to me. I don't think there would have been joy in it. 
But for me now, to be where I am, I've discovered a joy in the Holy Ghost from personal fulfillment when I look at the back and I see the churches and another church being planted, another church being planted out of here because the destiny is fulfilled. There's a personal sense of joy at fulfilling. So I can stand and say to God, I have not been disobedient to the heavenly vision that you gave me 35 years later. Amen? Then there's the joy of those around you. There's the joy of those around you who are touched by you sticking and being obedient to God. There's no joy like the joy. Paul said it to the Thessalonians. More or less, his word, you know, I'm putting his words into my words. He said, my joy is to see your joy at experiencing the things of the kingdom. Okay? And then lastly, there's, so you bring them joy. And then lastly, there's joy to see those around you touched by God working through you. So Luke 10, 21, when the disciples came back with a good report, even demons are subject to us in your name. It said, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Amen. Amen. And it's to see the joy of those others who've come to salvation. It's to see the joy of others being touched by God and empowered by God and going on and growing. So there is an anointing. There's an anointing, church. There's an anointing. I'm prophesying to you now. There's anointing. Remember how I started this series? I started saying this COVID thing came. We were not prophetically prepared or any otherwise prepared. It more or less took us by surprise. And many Christians have been winded by it, if not derailed in their faith by this thing. Many people have lost jobs, businesses have gone down, the economy of this country is affected. You could quite easily and possibly understandably said, Esh, what is with all of this stuff? Let's just rather, you know, go and do something else on a Sunday or whatever, instead of trying to come and do all the rules and all of these kinds of things. You could have quite easily got distracted, disillusioned, and just, you know, what's this Christian thing about? Because it just doesn't seem to be working. But you stood. And here you are this morning. Amen? Amen. You've come through. And uh, that, that kind of thing attracts the favor of God. It pleases God. I said this. I am convinced 100% that as we start moving out of the COVID thing, it was a gross underestimation of the devil to try and think he could silence the church, annihilate the church, do whatever with all of the restrictions because he works through all of those things to put a zipper on our face. And in the meantime, you know, agendas have been promoted in the background while the world's attention is on COVID. Other things have been happening in the background, the machinations of evil people, but it was a gross underestimation because what did we do? We had to stay at home and uh, many turned their attention to the study of the word and prayer and there were a prayer and fasting chains that were going and listen, not one of those prayers is lost to God. Amen. Amen. Not one. It will come back like Revelations chapter 8, where the incense came off the altar and came up before the presence of God. The time is coming when he says to the angel, take the coals of the altar and hurl it back to earth. Because there was lightnings and thunders, you know, and things like this, peals of thunder and lightning. And the rumblings on the earth. There was consequences because of the prayer of saints that came up. Church, we need to get ready. God is about to promote us. In favor, but with that position of favor, there's coming an oil of joy. Woo! Hallelujah. It's coming an oil of joy. 
where personally we'll be joyful, but the effects of it will bring us joy. Where people coming into righteousness as a fruit of righteousness will just be excited because they're born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, they're right with God. Amen. Did you get something this morning? The oil of joy. Redeeming the time, part five. How much more effectively could you redeem time, the favor of God upon your life, and an anointing of joy? Come on, it's going to be worthwhile. It's going to be worthwhile, everything. Everything's going to be worthwhile. Say it's going to be worth it all. Everything you've gone through, every struggle, every battle, you're still here. And possibly it's because for the joy that was set before you, you endured it all. Come on, don't... Don't forsake those prophecies. Don't let go of that word. Don't let go of that sense of destiny. God's got a purpose and plan for your life. You will touch people like nobody else can. You will reach people I can't. No one else can. God has put you in a world. God has put you in an oikodomia. Your world. Your world. You can have an impact on your world. We all touch our little worlds that we're living in. You know, we will reach the whole world. Come on, let's just raise our hands. I just speak over you fresh, fresh anointing, fresh outpouring, fresh encounters with the Holy Spirit of God, fresh endowment, fresh inspiration, that even your strength will be renewed. Come on, there's people here, your energy is low. Your energy is low. Your physical body is low in energy. God is refreshing you even physically right now in the name of Jesus. He will exalt your strength like that of a wild ox because fresh oil is being poured over you in the name of Jesus. I declare that when you drive, when you're meditating, you will start experiencing fresh anointings in the car. When you're quiet and meditating at work or wherever, you will suddenly feel waves of His presence just descending over you like a mantle falling on you because there's fresh oil that is falling. It is the oil of joy because you've endured, says the Lord. You've come out the other side. There's a joy set before you. In Jesus' name, Lord, I declare it. All the saints agreed and for those on live stream, all agreed and said, Amen. Say, I receive it. Woohoo. Ha ha. Say, it's joy. It's bubbling. It's bubbling. Bubbling. Amen. Hallelujah. Bless you all.